Before we get to Matt, I'm thrilled to announce a new options trading product over at Schaefer's Vertical Options Trader. Curated by founder and CEO Bernie Schaefer himself, Vertical Options are front month, out of the money vertical spreads, or otherwise known as debit spreads. They're the perfect strategy for trading options on the fastest moving, most volatile stocks in the marketplace, and that sounds pretty relevant right now. Matt actually explains this in far greater detail than I ever could at the end of this episode, but what I can tell you is that there's a sale going on now for our 41st anniversary coming up at the end of the month. We're doing $495 for 41 months of service, and that offer is through is valid through the end of July. Hit the link in this episode's bio to sign up or visit shafersresearch.com for more details. Now, here's Matthew Timpain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. It is Wednesday, July 13th. I'm thrilled to bring you an in-house guest today. Uh, please welcome Schaefer's Senior Market Strategist and Chartered Market Technician, Matthew Timpain. Long-awaited debut on the pod. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Patrick. Uh, definitely, uh, I've listened to our podcast for quite a while, and uh, I've been eager to get on. On the radio is longtime listener, first-time caller. Yeah, th- there you go. That's exactly it. Uh, the, the classic mantra there. We got a wide range of stuff to talk about today. You recently at, at Schaefer's uh, had a very successful put option trade, uh, the Abbott Laboratories ticker ABT, July hundred and fifteenth strike. I always like doing this. I've did, done this with Chris. I've done this with Todd. It's like pulling up a highlight video and just saying like, hey, like walk me through what you're thinking here on this play and, and, and how did you react? So let's do that to start. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the Abbott uh, Laboratories uh, July 115 strike uh, put position that we put on, I believe it was June 8th. When we entered the position, it had recently failed at the 80-day moving average at that time, uh, which really had been a significant moving average since 2020, uh, where it kind of found multiple bottoms uh, and now had been finding resistance at this level during the downtrend. So it was in a bear flag pattern as well, uh, and then rolling through that near-term uptrend and then breaking down through the 20-day moving average. So very highly technical type of trade. Uh, it was also really kind of holding below and rejected right at that 100-week moving average as well, uh, which was an area in 2016 that it kind of struggled at uh, to move above once it entered entered below that area. So, um, and that was kind of really the last significant bear market for Abbott Laboratories was was 2016. So, when it broke below uh, the 115 level is where we entered that position. Uh, it was also another previous support area in 2021 and resistance in 2020. So uh, this area kind of was really pinpointed on a lot of resistance. Uh, There was definitely some sentiment factors that went into this as well. Um, Our in-house kind of proprietary volatility scorecard that we use was uh, in 84. Uh, So it was telling us, you know, hey, this stock, even though Abbott Laboratories is typically uh, very much more of a slow mover, uh, it had been kind of the volatility had been outperforming uh, its usual uh, volatility and its you know peers uh, within the option universe. Uh, additionally, when we we're looking at the open interest ratio, it was in the third percentile. Uh, so what that was telling me is we had a lot of call buyers kind of in there, 
uh, over the longer term a little bit there. Uh, and it was a vulnerable to a pullback, uh, you know, and, and force those kind of call buyers out of the position. So, you know, and in shorter term trades, we don't always really look at analyst, you know, ratings as, as closely as we would if we were putting on a trade that's going to be three to six months. But there was really kind of some pertinent information that had been coming out about Abbott Laboratories. And, and that was a big catalyst. I kind of just looked at it as is it could provide a little bit more headwinds. And, uh, you know, it was still very much bullish leaning uh, in it, but it was below 22 percent below its consensus price target. Uh, so definitely could see some price target revisions with the recent news that had been coming out about Abbott Laboratories regarding the baby formula kind of fallout there, uh, the contamination and then the effect that it had on society as a whole that eventually we had a baby shortage formula due to or a shortage due to it. Uh, and that was kind of, I guess, one of the, the, the big reasons why it attracted me to that security on top of those technical indicators that we could just see some downside risk, maybe portfolio managers wanted to get out of this position. Uh, so that's what led me to put the position on. When I looked back through, I mean, that trade, like you just mentioned, had a little bit of everything that a contrarian investor is looking for as far as multiple moving averages, long-term, short-term, uh, the analyst, uh, the analyst optimism in this case, some more specific intricacies regarding the sector and, and, and some of the macro events going on. And, and I'm glad you hit on every single one because they all really work together to have, make this a successful trade. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. I, I believe, uh, you know, it, it worked immediately. And those are often your best trades. Uh, when you see that work immediately, those, those are the ones that you want to stay in as long as possible. You know, we entered that position on 6.8. Uh, and then we took half off near uh, the 13th. So just five days later, you know, these positions that work uh, right away are often your best types of trades. Uh, we took them off near the May 12th lows, just because we wanted to de-risk that position a little bit there. Uh, on uh, 629, there was two volume spikes that kind of happened prior to that, uh, which kind of got me out of the rest of the trade. You know, it was kind of trying to break back above that 20-day moving average. So it really just wasn't worth the risk of holding on to that position anymore in case it rallied against me. Uh, so, you know, we do try to hold on to these positions as long as possible if we see that there's convexity there uh, and the, the ability to kind of hopefully get more out of the position. But what we wanted to do at that point was take the position off, de-risk because there was upside risk, even though it hasn't uh, broken out to the upside, it was just better to move on to a new stock, new security, and that's kind of uh, where we left off with that. Yeah, I feel like from the 13th to the 29th is a pretty decent time frame of waiting and holding and then making the right decision. That's a, that's exactly kind of my point. And, and the fact that, you know, as you're getting closer to options expiration, all you're seeing is more theta decay in that option, uh, and you're just presented with more risk as you approach uh, options expiration. You know, we always love to be able to hold into uh, OPEX, but, you know, when you can't, uh, it's just better to get out, move on to the new trade, give yourself some time in a trade uh, on a new one. That that was a great analysis there, you know, of what you saw. Um, so go a little larger frame here. CPI report, brutal this morning, pretty bleak out there. What are some option strategies out there that can help an investor stay afloat at a time like this? 
Yeah, so CPI was horrendous. Obviously, it's inflation's being driven by energy and food and shelter, uh, just you know, rapidly expanding on the inflation uh, front. Uh, it's something that I've obviously watched closely as kind of coming from more of a multi-asset background, uh, and you know, I've incorporated macro factors into my analysis for a very long time. Some things that I think that options traders can do uh, during periods like this, because what you're really trying to prevent to do is, is getting your face ripped off in a bear market rally, but you also don't really want to be long on a potential next leg lower, right? So you got to be extremely strict in your straight trading strategies right here. So some things that you can do uh, is keep yourself a diversified portfolio of calls and puts. Uh, and then spread those bets across sectors. This way you're not overexposed to direction or any one sector uh, from a macro perspective. Also, you know, like I was saying just a little bit ago, you know, you need to keep your entries and your stops tight and you wanna honor those stops. It's something I've always kind of preached. Uh, during bull markets, sloppy entries and stops may be something you can kind of get away with, uh, but in bear markets, this can absolutely ruin you. Uh, and then I do have a few other things since we are, you know, primarily a long premium buyer uh, firm here at Schaefer's Investment Research. We do some premium selling. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that you can do to kind of, you know, ease off the high implied volatility environment that we're in is buy maybe more in the money contracts to kind of reduce that IV crush and that time decay that they'll experience. Uh, when we do get a rally and as we you know, get closer to options expiration for that contract. Uh, and then another thing that we often do is kind of either shorten or lengthen our timeframes, uh, depending on the type of directional strategy that we're using. And by doing this, you know, when we're in these types of bear market environments, we're in negative gamma, you know, if you shorten your time horizon, you often get these you know, bigger moves because of the market environment. So you can hit your targets faster, get in and out of these contracts and then that way you know if you do have an adverse move against you you're either out uh or you know if you want to lengthen it that way you can kind of handle some of that adverse uh reaction a little bit uh one thing from a personal level that i've done is you know option traders can also kind of flip the script a little bit if you are dominantly a long premium buyer you can kind of go into selling some more premium here uh like i said we're living in a high implied volatility environment even with the VIX, you know, being kind of suppressed, you know, if you look at IV rank of many of the securities, we're in the 80th percentile, 70th percentile. Uh, and then when we do have these rallies, if you're, you're trying to play that, you know, like I said, you get this IV crush, it really kind of hurts those returns in the long premium side. But what that is, is that's a nice tailwind for you if you sell some premium against it. So uh, from a personal perspective, I've been selling a lot more premium in this type of environment really kind of picking out my support zones and uh, resistance areas to put these trades on. And then I've been doing it through uh, credit spread utilization instead of just selling outright naked calls and puts, um, because that way I can at least reduce my downside risk if I'm wrong. Uh, and that's kind of just some ideas that you could do as an option trader right here in this type of market environment. Yeah, couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, listeners, or when this becomes a transcript, might recognize Matt from, I mean, we, he's our, one of our key representatives uh, on our, you know, the Bazinga boot camps. He also pretty frequently writes uh, our Monday morning outlook, which is you know, delivered to subscribers every, you guessed it, Monday morning. 
and as the one who edits and kind of cooperates with that, I've always wondered, you know, when you write MMO, what is your thought process? What is your research process? Because I feel like that's a jumping off point for someone who wants to understand the macro areas of the stock market, like you said, you're, that you've been involved with. Um, because I think most people, they can't open up a website or turn on Squawk Box and really pick off what they need to know for the next week. Yeah, no, I, I fully understand that. Uh, I've kind of been in that position before, you know, obviously uh, uh, before being a, a trader and, and trying to learn everything uh, as a college student uh, where I first found my love for the markets. But um, first, you know, as traders, you know, the first thing that we're doing is we're always constantly on the lookout uh, for information and filing away that information daily uh, that could really kind of affect the market and our positions. So that's one thing I think like a, even a retail person could do is, is in general um, kind of look, you know, pull out the fluff from all the information that's being thrown to you on the news articles and pull out the data. Uh, it's obviously a lot better being a you know professional trader. You know, we're able to have certain platforms that we can pull up this data anytime that it comes out. Uh, but, you know, you, there is plenty of great free sites out there that, that has the same stuff I, I know out there. Uh, I mean, I use a, a trading platform that is paid, but also they have a free version of it. You can pull up all this economic data. Uh, so you can do this yourself and, and some of the analysis exactly yourself. So um, the data is the most important thing, though. You know, when you're looking at the news, disregard a lot of the opinions and, and look at what the data is and what price history kind of tells you from that aspect. Uh, when you do look at like weird things like, you know, say like Barron's or Economist covers, you know, uh, half the time, you know, those big themes that are coming out in the financial media are at the exact wrong time. Uh, and you should literally be kind of doing the opposite. I, I know we used to have uh, an archive of all of those articles and um, how, you know, how they're wrong. And many other technical analysts out there uh, cover this as well. And so to begin with, what I do, I guess, you know, to bring it back to like uh, starting point of what I do when I'm writing the MMO, I'll look at any of the information I have saved. I'll pull up all of my macro charts. I'll go through them. I will reanalyze everything. So I'll look at, you know, whether it's the broad-based indexes, what eco economic data that came out the past week, what economic data is coming out the next week, how could that affect the market? Uh, and then look at everything since we're very options focused from OI or open interest configurations uh, for the major indexes to the sentiment data. Then I'll just develop a framework or an outline to see really what I can or what I can see happening in the next week or two. Since, uh, as you've noticed, you know, Monday Morning Outlook kind of focuses on a, a shorter time frame. Um, so I can develop that thesis so it can hopefully better help our readers. Um, and sometimes, you know, I will highlight larger themes uh, that need to be mentioned just because they fit within the broader context uh, of the, the short term theme as well. Um, but, you know, one of, you know, after I'm kind of done doing that initial outline, I always kind of look at it quickly and I say, I ask myself kind of two questions. Does this make sense? And what has history shown us? Because sometimes what sounds right really doesn't appear right on paper. And this is one reason why I actually think writing is so important for any trader or an investor. Um, sometimes, you know, when it sounds right, you put it on that piece of paper, uh, you're going to sit there and go, that doesn't make sense anymore. 
So even if it's just journaling trades or, or notes on the market on a daily basis, um, you know, this kind of really makes you think, does this fit the overall theme? Um, do I have maybe a bias one way or another? And I'm totally wrong uh, to think about it like this when looking at the data itself. Uh, so, you know, then obviously, you know, there's multitude of factors and there's going to be conflicting factors all the time. You really kind of need to weigh the evidence uh, of those factors uh, for that specific point in time and, and how it can affect the market. So whether it's looking at economic indicators or uh, technical levels on your you know, index charts uh, or how open interest is working, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, are we trading near a peak put level where if we go through that, we can be in a delta hedge scenario or, you know, if we're kind of in a bull market, these levels often act as, you know, huge support levels where we can really kind of buy that dip. Um, that's just kind of how I guess I go through it and then just develop, you know, like I said, a nice theme to be able to uh, hopefully benefit the readers of the program uh, so that they can be successful in their training as well. Yeah, data, 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 folks. That's 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 really what it's all about. But what I loved what you said there, and especially as a writer, love to hear that of the journaling and the kind of recording, taking the notes and seeing how this sounds on paper because it does have a different angle and lens to it that could lend you to a different direction of where you wanted to go. Uh, I thought that's that's fascinating. I so you're journaling every trade, or how does that work? Yeah, so I mean, I journal every trade. Uh, first off, we do drivers. So we pass those around to all of our traders on staff. That way, if anybody sees something that maybe doesn't make sense, they can point it out to you. Uh, maybe you're doing something right and you're trading really well. And then this helps you actually, or, or other traders see something that's working uh, and they can kind of hop on trades in, in that same similar fashion. But yes, personally, I have a, a journal right next to me at all times during the trading day. Uh, write down my trades. I, you know, have my watch lists, uh, you know, obviously on the computer as well, but I also write them down a lot of the times uh, just to kind of put things in my head. Then I'll put little notes by them, why I like this, uh, what can go right, what can go wrong here. And it kind of just helps you flesh that out. So yeah, every single day, I, I think every trader should be journaling uh, market thoughts, end of day, kind of what happened, what went right, what went wrong. And uh, you know, what, what you think can happen in the near future. Uh, so I think there is a huge parallel uh, between the journalistic side and the trading side uh, that I think people usually don't give enough recognition to. And um, I kind of learned that, I guess, from my, my first mentor in the industry. Uh, he's a prolific writer. Uh, and, you know, you know, I kind of even was able to work with him a little bit on saying, yeah, you know, these things sound good. But then once we kind of look at all the data and, you know, does this align right? And we made many adjustments that way. So, uh, you know, that's where I kind of uh, uh, fall on writing, and I, I think everybody should do it. Whew. Preaching to the choir here. Uh, I, lo I love that. And earlier in your answer, you had mentioned how you are essentially bookmarking things, and, and that brought me to social media, which that you have, you know, a very, I think, perfect balance of irreverent but you're also hitting right in on the key points which is exactly what twitter is i mean look at you you have the pin tweet which i'm going to read out loud here uh i'd rather fail by being true to myself than to perpetually live a lie and succeed just to fit into the societal mold that essentially is social media and twitter in a nutshell so you know with that 
pin tweet in mind, how do you think an investor should utilize Twitter and social media? Because it can be a treasure trove at times, or it's just a cesspool that you're clicking through. Yeah, no, and uh, that quote just came to me. So, uh, you know, it was something that I just kind of felt. And social media was definitely part of the target of that. Uh, so is just, you know, society as a whole, right? We're, we're sometimes pigeonholed into these roles and it's more about, you know, be yourself, right? Just be true to who you are because in the long run, uh, life is life is short. And uh, if you're not true to yourself, uh, it's, it's uh, something that you may regret later on in life. And, you know, to, to become successful, um, you don't have to sit, sit with inside that mold itself. You know, I've come from backgrounds with heavy regulatory and things like that. So I think it was something that uh, just kind of spoke to me. And, and, and between that and my upbringing as well, my upbringing was was kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, made me come up with that quote, I guess, uh, from many different aspects. Uh, but with respect to that pin tweet, like I said, uh, in, you know, for how an investor or a trader should utilize Twitter, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was I... I I hopped on just like anybody else and you're just bombarded, right? With mm -hmm. this information overload. Uh, and how I kind of, you know, viewed it at first was, you know, this is great. You know, it's so much information. Oh my God, I'm going to be the, the best trader, the best investor in the world. Uh, when I was still in college, looking at social media feeds. And, and then I realized that, you know, 90% of it, you know, you really don't need. Uh, so for me, the, the biggest rule of thumb uh, with Twitter and social media is really curate your feed, uh, you know, make lists uh, that are probably the most important thing I've ever done. I silo them into specific groups, traders that I know really trade, right? Uh, macro, you know, investment analysis, financial media is another silo, crypto is another silo, sports and politics for fun is another silo. As you can probably assume, uh, politics is, is, is my least important one. So uh, on my TweetDeck feed, that one's all the way to the right. Uh, often don't even see that. I uh, probably haven't seen it in a month or two myself right now. Uh, so then what I do is I take TweetDeck and just run them from least or most important to least important from the left to right side. Uh, and then that way, it, what I'm looking for, that information pops out to me from the people that I have determined, you know, have pertinent information. Uh, whether that's from a, a trading perspective, maybe another trader got on a really good trade or or maybe somebody's you know entering a, a lot of you know calls into a position and, and not necessarily to bet against them, but to kind of watch that position to say, you know I don't know if this trade could go sideways or or you know I want to be with them. So um, that's one way people could use it. Uh, the macro side is you're able to pull out a lot of great people that have macro views. Obviously, there's a lot of people out there that have like the doomsday mm -hmm. kind of macro perspective. And I, I've seen people fall into that trap. And I try to, you know, definitely veer away from that side of it. I'm uh, naturally somewhat of an optimist. Uh, so I definitely curated that feed to really people that, you know, definitely understand both sides of the tape, uh, understand both sides of the market. But, you know, they're not just peddling the marketing fear. Because, uh, I mean, fear gets clicks. You know, that's it's one of the sayings is VIX gets clicks, you know. So, you know, just like an insurance salesman, um, you know, fear is what drives you to buy insurance. So I try to remove those as well. Uh, and then, you know, some of the most followed accounts I, I found, and, and it's, I don't know what it is, you know, they're, they're, they have, you know, kind of a 
they're very good at marketing themselves, you know, sometimes high ego, things like that. People want to be like them. Uh, they're the riskiest probably traders out there sometimes, and, and they can do really well. Um, but, you know, it's something that I've always tried to avoid and tried to tell other people to avoid as well, because they could be entering positions and maybe they're not dumping the whole position on you when they tweet and generate volume. But, you know, they're probably going to take some of off if that position is going to, you know, run up 5% when they do a tweet. So I always tell people to be very cautious about that. Uh, you know, let, you know, if it's a position you really want to get into, let that volume kind of subside, just like a news catalyst would be the same thing uh, and then take it from there. But for me, it's curate, curate, curate uh, your feed all the way. Uh, no, no better way to put it uh, when you're following social media. The perfect example is this morning with the CPI. You know, I first thing I do 8 a.m., I'm, I'm looking through our tweets, you know, hitting a couple likes, hitting a couple quote tweets. And then obviously the CPI drops and it is just a avalanche of negativity and the doom and gloom and everything. And you have to almost train yourself just to say, I'm going to log off or I'm going to look at something else. Uh, go type in sports, go type in politics just to, just to get a distraction. And then the other thing that I've been doing is, is if you going on Twitter for a specific idea, where if I decide I want to write about oil or if I decide I want to write about Bitcoin, I plug that into the search. And you, like you said, when you trust your curation, which I do New Year's Eve, go through all the accounts and unfollow the ones that don't matter. If you trust your curation, the search and the algorithm will bring up most likely the information that you want. And I feel like that's a balance that needs to be struck, especially for a retail trader. Oh, exactly. And it's it's a great way to find, like I said, you know, we we're even talking about MMO. It's a great way to find information. Maybe you're missing something. Maybe somebody else is onto something that is extremely uh, important to your thesis. Uh, or maybe you can prove your, your investing thesis wrong. So yes, exactly. I, I think that is important uh, to be able to search through that. I have a few searches I think open right now. Uh, usually, you know, before I enter a position, I, I do search the position just to, you know, see what other people are doing. Um, and, you know, honestly, my hope usually is that nobody's on it. Uh, that's that's usually the, the best type of trade uh, that you can find is, is when nobody's really on that uh, for you. But yes, no, curation is, is the one way to do it. Uh, or is the only way to really do it, to be honest. And mm -hmm. like you said, you can find great information out there. So we've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, just wanted to finish with some whip around topics. Uh, having, you know, seen your Twitter feed pretty frequently, you're out there with Bitcoin, um, some hockey. I mean, anything you want to just kind of hit on, you know, for these last wrapping up moments. Yeah, sure. I, we can talk about all of that if you want. Um, obviously, I, I come from northern Minnesota originally, so... I grew up a few hours away from the Canadian border. So hockey has been in my life uh, since I was just a tiny little kid. Um, I was a goalie. So, you know, they always say goalies are a little bit strange, a little bit different. I, I guess that would be why my old kind of Twitter handle even was uh, offbeat, you know, operator. Uh, just because, you know, I, I, I hung out with the kids in sports. I hung out with the kids that kind of like the party a little bit in high school. I was kind of a little bit of everybody and I was kind of uh, – you know, I guess, you know, different than than both groups as a whole, right? Uh, I was just always, ex you know, exploring and curious, uh, trying new things and, and being part of multiple groups. Uh, still am a huge fan of hockey, obviously a Minnesota Wild fan here. Uh, you know, I mean, definitely uh, got up to a Blue Jackets game once, but, 
got to stay true to my roots. Uh, and uh, I think we have a really good team. Uh, in terms of Bitcoin, yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do uh, dabble in crypto myself. Obviously, I, I'm a trader by heart. I'm willing to trade kind of any type of market. Uh, because of my technical background, I feel that I can do it a lot of the times. If I need to learn more macro or fundamentals behind the trade, I will. But the technicals at least let me into the space. Um, you know, Bitcoin's going through a really tough period. It's, you know, below that 200 week moving average. Uh, I think I had a tweet out there about that. And uh, one of the, the, the big crypto accounts retweeted it. And I, and I was curious, you know, to what people thought, you know, when it broke below the 200 week, would it hold, you know, and re, uh, uh, rebound above that 200 week? Or would it would it be actually the first time we ever broke down through that 200 week? And, and the surprising consensus uh, was it was actually going to be lower. I, I really didn't see that coming from the crypto community. I, I thought most of the time it was going to be higher. Uh, so what are we right now? About minus 70% in the drawdown and you carnage. know 80%. Yeah, it's absolute carnage. But you know, 80% draw, drawdowns aren't unordinary in this market. Uh, when I got introduced to it in, you know, first time in 2011 from some college kids was my biggest regret not buying any. They were like, hey, you know, you, you got to be buying this. And I was like, I'm not throwing my money at this. But then in 2016, uh, some really well-known investors, you know, kind of got me into crypto. And, you know, obviously we went through a really huge bull run, but then we saw another 80% pullback. So where is, you know, crypto going to go? Um, you know, I mean, we're at the 2017 peak currently. Uh, but it, this thing could easily fall to 2019, 2022 range, which would put us around 10,000 to 12,000 support zone area. Uh, I think right now the, the biggest problem with crypto and the crypto community is it really has a confidence problem uh, with centralized exchanges failing like Celsius and Voyager. And I, I believe the other one was CoinFlex. Uh, so, you know, it kind of brought on this this classic example of a bank run that's happening in the space right now. And I myself included, I, I had a lot of uh, my extra cash that sits on the sideline in, in uh, USDC. Uh, but when I saw the Luna and the USDT blow up happening, uh, I pulled all my USDC out, brought it back to the bank because, you know, you, you want to make sure that's safe. Uh, and, and being on a centralized exchange, a lot of people probably didn't realize you is, you know, you don't have your keys. Those aren't your crypto. That's it's the company's crypto. Technically, you're getting interest on it because they're loaning it out. Uh, and when one of those companies blows up, you know, your money goes through bankruptcy hearings and you're only going to get back a portion of that money at best. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, I think what we're seeing in the carnage, you have, you know, a lot of these altcoins will probably go to zero. A uh, few will thrive and possibly become the next Google, but I think some of the next big altcoins and projects likely haven't even been created yet. And it usually takes these types of environments uh, for that to happen, for them to start building again. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of my stance on it right now. I'm, I'm literally in zero crypto. Uh, and I usually always kind of held something in a position, but it's just... Uh, right now, the the risk is uh, just outweighing the rewards. Very interesting. I, th I think that's a unique perspective, though, coming, uh, you know, from a CMT, you know, to have that that have that stance, uh, and then to circle back to the hockey for a second. Uh, I'm not sure if you have watched it or not, but it's on Hulu. Uh, it's a spinoff from another Canadian show uh, called. The, the show is called Shorzy, and I would highly highly recommend 
you, you, you give it a whirl. Just if you want something dumb, simple to watch, you, you're going to enjoy it as a hockey player. Uh, I actually, I've watched Letterkenny. I'm, I'm working on, I believe, season seven of Letterkenny. Mm-hmm. So that the, the spinoff show you're talking about uh, with Shorzy there and the hockey players. Yeah, no, it's 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 an absolutely, uh, both shows are hilarious. I haven't really seen Shorzy uh, that much. I just saw some of the previews, but uh, the character, you know, Shorzy and Letterkenny is absolutely funny. Uh, and and it, it's really kind of true. I mean, it's not exactly how we all speak up there, but I mean, kind of, uh, you know, I, I can, I can definitely, you know, kind of uh, float my A's and, and things like that. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of close to Canada. We're very similar up in Northern Minnesota. Uh, those guys are huge hockey fans. Uh, mm-hmm. They're uh, Calgary uh, Flames fans. So uh, yeah, no, love, love that show. I'm, I'm looking forward to moving on to Shorzy myself. Yeah. So that'll be our part two. We can do an episode. We can do an entire season review of that. Um, we got Matthew Tim Payne, Schaefer, our senior market strategist here at Schaefer's. We got about two minutes left. If you just want to give any last closing thoughts that you have, uh, anything you want to plug, anything you're working on. Yeah, uh, we're doing something new over at Schaefer's. We instituted a new program. It's a vertical options trader program where we're buying vertical spreads that are slightly out of the money uh, and then selling uh, you know, another Uh, call option above that or a put option below uh, the strike that we're buying. And the program is is set up for being able to kind of take aggressive trades, uh, especially in volatile markets. Uh, So there's a couple of beautiful things about this. Uh, You know, you're able to take that aggressive trade. And then if you do experience an adverse reaction to it, since you sold that call or sold that put, uh, and if it goes in the opposite direction, what happens is you don't get as much uh, of a, a pullback in your option price. It kind of saves that a little bit. It allows you the time for it to work out. Uh, so it's a new service that we're doing. Uh, our founder is running the service uh, to begin with. Uh, and, you know, he's had a great year trading. Uh, so it's definitely something that I would encourage, you know, any subscribers uh, that are looking to do, uh, you know, some more aggressive type of trading strategies to, to take that on as well. Or if you're new to options trading, it's, it's a nice way to get in with a low dollar price point as well. Uh, usually the trades don't cost that much since you are buying and then selling uh, another uh, contract against it. It reduces the overall premium that you're going to be paying out uh, to be able to take those trades. Uh, it does cap the upside, but that's part of the reason uh, why we're doing it is, is because it reduces some of the risk uh, in the trade as well. I'll have the link for that. Uh, at the in this episode's bio, so we can for the sign up. Um, that's great stuff, Matt. Thank you again for coming on. Th- this will be the first of many. Let's be honest. We we have so much more to talk about. Thanks again, and and we'll talk soon. Yeah, look forward to being back on Patrick.